either. You just caught me reading my brand new book, Twin Peaks Unwrapped. The book, me and my co-host Ben Durant wrote this last year and is now finally out at bluerosebag.com. This book contains over 100 interviews with cast and crew, community commentary, and of course, us. For example, here are some of the fine folks you'll find in this wonderful book. Krista Bell, Charlotte Stewart, David Patrick Kelly, Jim Belushi, John Neff, Scott Frost, Cheryl Lee, Matthew Lillard, and the one, the only, Kyle McLaughlin. So get your copy today at bluerosemag.com. Most of us inhabit at least two worlds. The real world, where we're at the mercy of circumstance, and the world within, the unconscious, a safe place where we can escape. The Max shifts between these worlds against his will. Here, homeless, he lives in a box in an alley. The only one who really cares for him is Julie Winters, a freelance social worker. But in Pangea, the other world, he rules the Outback and is the protector of Julie, his jungle queen. There, he cares for her, but he always ends up back in the real world. And me, old Mr. Gone, <laughs> only I can see that the secret which unites them could destroy them. I could be helpful. Ah, screw it. I think I'll have some fun with them first. <laughs> uh, Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant. Beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hi, Brian. Hey, Ben. How are you? Good, good. Uh, we're in the studio today, and we have a very special episode. It's something a little different. I yeah. mean, it's it, we're, we're kind of branching off a little bit. We're, you know, it's not truly Twin Peaks. It's not David Lynch. It's not Mark Frost. It's a comic book and an MTV cartoon. Yes, animated. And I, I think that, did the idea, correct me if I'm wrong, but did the idea come from the 25 years later webpage? Yeah, Rob King recently wrote an article about the Max. Yeah. And he, he also talked about the similarities of Twin Peaks. So I think that was the original. And that was got me excited. It's like, oh, I love the, this comic yeah. book. I mean, this is something I had read when I was a teenager. And then I decided to look and say, how old is the Max? And I realized... Wow, this month is the 25th anniversary of the Max. And you know I love my anniversary. You do. So. This is perfect, Ben. <laughs> you did it. You nailed it. And the, the Max is amazing. Like, I remember the cartoon when I was a in 1995. Liquid television was one of my favorite things. And the head, the Max, Beavis and Butthead got their start in Liquid television. Eon Flux. I mean, I, will, I was addicted to that stuff. It was oh, so, yeah. good. so good. So good. As a kid, I felt like I was the only one who was watching. In high school, I would go to school afterwards, and I wouldn't really know anybody who was watching it. Like, yeah. And even if I said, you watching the Max? People are like, what are you talking about? Well, it's so obscure, too, because, I mean, yeah. I can't remember what time. it was. I feel it was late at night. I want to say it was 10 p.m. Back then, that was very late at night. I guess so. And then it was only, like, 10, 11-minute segments, Yeah. too, which is kind of crazy. So it's not like your normal, like, oh, I'm going to watch a half-hour show or an hour show. It's like you've gotten 10 minutes of a show. I mean. Yeah, and, you know, really, Adult Swim kind of became what MTV was doing. Yeah. And they Adult Swim continues to do that, 
but MTV was, I, I would have to say, they were the, the originators of like these oddball animated things that you would normally not see on TV. You would have to go to some art house or buy a weird VHS at a video store to see weird stuff like this. MTV was pumping it into your TV screen. And so it was kind of cool. He, he wrote that. I saw that too. I was excited. You got yourself a copy. So I got myself a copy and I've never finished the comic series. If you haven't finished the comic series, don't. I don't think you should be part of this interview. I think I think Rob King and I should get together. We should talk about the comic book, talk a little bit about MTV cartoon. And then when that's over, have you come back on and we can talk more about the MTV series. I like that idea. One woman got away by running three blocks on a broken foot. Sometimes it's luck that saves them. Sometimes it's fate. Hey, Fridge, here's another one. You ever seen anybody with so much change in their purse, huh, Fridge? I, I say you ever seen anybody with... What? Who are you? Yeah, usually it's fate. But sometimes it's me! And sometimes it's us. All right, everybody, freeze. Damn, I was talking out loud again. All right, we're on the phone with Rob King. Hey, Rob. Hello. 25 years later, site, you did an article called MTV's Oddities Part 2, The Max, Julie's Pangea, Loris Ghostwood. So actually, this month is the 25th anniversary of The Max. When I was a teenager, I loved this comic book. It's probably my favorite comic book. So what got you into this? What made you want to write this article? That happened several months back um, when I... Let's see, I joined the 25 Years Later site around October, and it, it must have been sometime in November or early December that we began to discuss that we wanted to diversify a little bit and have some new material that kind of give our, our writers a little bit of a break, our readers a little bit of a break, and about Twin Peaks theory, while not abandoning Twin Peaks, but cult TV is the term we came up with. So I just kind of started digging back and I thought, well, cult TV. And so my mind starts jumping back to original Twin Peaks, early 90s, started remembering uh, the head and, and the max and these strange little MTV shows that popped up and then just disappeared. And I was like, that's as cult as it gets. Television wise, uh, liquid television, what have you. I did a first article on the head and then the max was next. And the max just kind of as it sat there and kind of simmered, just built and built the, as I began reading the comics going beyond the television show I was familiar with, it started to have all these little Twin Peaks connections and it became a more pertinent text. Awesome. Yeah, and I want to let our listeners know, I think we're just going to spoil the Max. If you want to watch the MTV show or if you want to read the comic book, you know, stop right now, go do that and come back because I think we should just go into everything here. Let's go for it. Did you see the show first or did you read the comic book first? I saw the show first. Uh, I was a large fan of it. So sometime in 2005, 2006, I think the DVD became available and I bought that and, and rewatched it all. I watched it when it originally aired. Of course, I was in that the climate of when the Max came out and I was collecting comics, but I... I I was just about a year off of the max and, and it felt so overwhelming. And back then it was harder to get those back issues. So I didn't read the comic then. I've really read that mostly in this past year working on this article. The comic book came out in 93. MTV show came out, I think, in 95, just to give people understanding of where things are. And that's really not that far after Twin Peaks ended in 91 when you think about it. They were really close together. And so if you, if you look at the cover of a, of a max comic book, you'd say, oh, this is a superhero comic book. Can you tell us what th this entails? What is this comic book? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's so much more than that. Um, well, it is a comic, but I think it's also a little bit uh, a parody almost of 90s comics. The more that you read it, I think you begin to realize Sam Keith, he's playing with the conventions a little bit here. You know, the Max is curious and that, that he has the huge muscle tone, just, just out of proportion huge. These huge claws, which almost emulate Wolverine, but it's a single one. I heard a podcast podcast where they said it's almost like he's permanently flipping off the audience. And you realize that, that maybe there is that tongue-in-cheek there. And Julie Winters is a character that dresses in an unusual fashion, but it's not superhero tights. It's everyday clothes. What I consider to be a normal body. She's not super skinny like so many comic books do. Yeah, I, and intentionally so. You see me as some little Miss Perfect to be seduced and disposed of. Actually, I'm pretty flawed, you know. I've got a fat stomach and chafe marks where my jeans cut in. Bad breath from eating the wrong stuff. And my underarms are stubbly. 
You, however, have a problem with women. <sighs> How perceptive. Did you figure that one out when I kidnapped you? Or when I tied you up with leather straps? Of course I've got a problem with women! It was a very intentioned art, and you begin to realize this, that there was a point behind all of the decisions. Mostly the Max, it turns out, and I, I think I said it in my article, that really at the center of it, it's a show about trauma and coping and coping mechanisms with a trauma that's happened in the past. So there's 35 issues, and by the end of the series, uh, this, the, the villain of the story, Mr. Gone, kind of says that we're, you know, all of us, meaning there was a group of people besides Julie Winters and the Max, he's is all of us are kind of children of shame and in some ways they've been abused or there's something that's happened to them that they kind of led them all together yeah absolutely and i think you find that out kind of toward that last issue so you've spent from issue one to this short run 35 issues but you've spent it seeing this peeling back of layers of the story until you ultimately realize what any of it has to do with the other it, although it's established pretty much up at the front that that the max is important to julie's story and julie to the max but the the idea of them all coming from that children of shame yeah arrives almost toward the end of the series you have this character the max who wears a p purple costume and he in some ways he's like the hulk too because all he says is i am the max it's really about him and julie and him protecting julie there's this other world besides is it new york or the city that they live in there's another world yeah whatever place that they're living in i think they call them zones and then later bubbles in the series and it seems to be a city be it i'm just guessing New York or a Chicago type setting. And so the Max will have these headaches. I'm out of control again. I don't remember where I was this week. I saw a paper and said it was Friday. Last I remember it was Sunday. I Incredible love messages. cheese. I love the stinky stuff too, like that dude in the back there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, God. It started again. God, I wish I were drunk. At least that would explain this. Great. Where the heck am I now? And he will go into this land, this Pangea, the Outback, and that's used interchangeably throughout the series, Pangea and Outback, which later we learn in the show is something that this villain, this Mr. Gone character, has a better grasp of than anybody in the comic. And they're, um, they're dangerous animals. You know, it's very much centered off like an Australian outback with dangers in the uh, wilderness. And the Max there is this king-like character that protects his leopard queen. There's a leopard queen there that kind of emulates, it looks like Julie, Julie Winters. And we find out that he is he's her protector there, but we have to learn what he's protecting her from. Is it the dangers of this outland or her learning truths coming to a realization? And this other world, I mean, in some some of the issues they talk about, it, this, this outback is almost like dream world. World. It's, it's like in the dreams. And this is maybe the start of what I kind of look at Twin Peaks. Like you have you have Twin Peaks and then you have this other world, whether it being through portals or in dreams that you go to. And I, I guess it's one of the first connections I really see with the Max and Twin Peaks. Yeah, I think that's true. And uh, there's a point where we begin to learn Mr. Gon's background. And he claims that in his 40s, he spent time in Australia and he was learning from an Aborigine tribe trying to learn their uh, what he calls walking in the dream time. And so you begin to hear this as you're going through all the connections start coming together this the the terminology of dreams and of masks and trauma and gone off and tells the max this primitive plane which you think is australia and i call pangea is all that is real the other world is a dream where we're trapped playing out our deepest fantasies when julie winters was hurt never mind how she created a fantasy world for herself place where she would have control. You've got to go back there, to the city, find her and protect her. Keep her from knowing too much of the truth all at once, for the truth will destroy her. At least that's what the villain told me, but who can believe a villain? Still, as I talk to Julie, 
I can't help remembering his words. He never told me anything straight out, only in riddles, but he implied a lot. He hinted she was in danger, maybe from herself. Don't let her learn too much too soon. What you begin to connect is she almost, Julie Winters, is almost a Laura Palmer-like character. And she has appointed this character, this Max, to protect her from herself. And it begins to make you think a little bit of uh, the, the Laura Palmer aspect. And I know that I've heard it on podcasts before where they talked about maybe trying to tie Twin Peaks to the weird tell, the genre of weird tells. And in that saying that maybe Laura, when she suffered a trauma, created masks and appointed this Cooper-like character to be her savior. But he is attached to her trauma through her dreams. I like that. I think that's a good way to look at it. And yeah, you, in some of these issues, you see like you can see both the city and you can see the dream world almost like it's split in half like it's or it's faded in and out where you see like a whale going by and then it, that, that's in the sky. And then you also see a blimp in the in the city. And I think of like part 17 where Cooper has to go through the um, Great Northern uh, basement door and he goes through with Mike or Philip Gerard and they're in a forest and they're going down the hallway at the same time. It's like there's two different worlds kind of colliding. Through the darkness of future past, the magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds. Are you in this dream world or are you in this reality? And I, I can see that both in the Max and with Twin Peaks. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. And and, and in the Max, it kind of has a little bit of a comic effect for the embarrassment of the Max and Julie when they find themselves sitting on a mailbox when they think they've been sitting on a hill or, or something along those lines. So with Twin Peaks, yeah, I, I think that's true. And, and just that idea of what is the dream world, uh, you know, you hear that throughout the show we live inside a dream and i think in the article the way i kind of work to connect that if, if if i did it successfully or not is up for the audience but to talk about that idea that kind of surfaced in lost highway and that was that idea of that psychogenic fugue you know which the the definition that i found that worked well was psychogenic fugue is a disorder of memory that occurs following emotional or psychological trauma and results in a loss of one's personal past including personal identity and it made me think of all of that montage that you see in lynch's films in that loss of identity from lost highway to mulholland drive and very specifically twin peaks there seems to be a lot going on in the max that that emulates that idea. Definitely, I I totally agree. I mean, and like, yeah, you have these almost these different personalities. And I, I think about even at the end of Twin Peaks, where it seems like there's Rich, Richard and Linda and <laughs> Laura Palmer and Carrie. And by the end of the Max series, it seems like these characters are, are going to become other people. Are there other alternate worlds where they can be other people? But and somehow these characters are all together. They all they all kind of. They share something, some kind of bond where they're meant to, no matter what universe or, you know, place they're in, that they're all going to be together. Right. And I think when Mr. Gon discusses that, he talks about them changing these bubbles, these alternate universes that he has no control over. But but he mentions that like a, a child will be connected with their parents until they die, no matter as they shift across worlds. And that really fascinated me as I got to thinking of Laura Palmer and then her parents, Leland and Sarah. And Sarah was such a sinner in the return is something that needed to be confronted for Laura. So so I got to thinking, even as she moves across these alternates, the story's always going to be about Laura and her parents. The Max, there's at times where they talk about fairy tales. Let me entertain you, Doctor, with a little fairy tale. My name back then was Artemis P. Gorn. I was about 10 pounds lighter, and I was a pretty dapper fellow. This is the story of a little girl I still know. Hi, you remember me. There's our house. Mommy and Daddy. My room. I love the old elm outside my window. 
I sit under it sometimes and pretend I'm a jungle queen and have adventures. And I, I kind of associate that whole the little girl down the lane as, as being Laura Palmer. Like there's some kind of a fairy tale story or legend about Laura Palmer that is being told. And, and it doesn't matter what, <laughs> what place or time we're in, that there is this, this story of, of the little girl down the lane. Wow. It, it, you know, and I had not put that together. That's so excellent. You know, I just started watching that movie the other night um, for the first time. And it's so just, and I, and I have not finished it. But yeah, that idea of a little girl uh, kind of in charge of her own life with someone creeping in wanting something from her. Of course, that gives you that idea of Bob, doesn't it? So I like the idea that you're associating that with a fairy tale in Twin Peaks. You know, is that the story of the little girl who lived down the lane? Yeah. And, you know, of course, Bob is also Leland. So is it really, it's almost to me like this idea that the neighbors knew that there was problems in that house and they'd rather deny it and pretend that like that. It's like, oh, you know, there's a story about this little girl down the lane. There's this story about Laura Palmer, but we don't really want to talk about the fact that she was actually molested or sexually assaulted by her own father. Right. I think that's true. And that's probably a good opportunity for us to mention uh, for those that aren't familiar with Julie Winters is that she has suffered a trauma where she has apparently in her past uh, suffered a rape. And out of that, there are some other embarrassments and traumas that Mr. Gone is trying to convince her and the Max need to come very slowly because it affects this reality that they're living in and everyone else associated with it. It gives you that idea of like Twin Peaks, you know, uh, if Laura can't handle the truth, Twin Peaks will be affected. So what we learn later, um, this is real spoiler, she thinks a man is attacking her one night and just doesn't stop her car and hits him in this ends up becoming the max for her, this man that has suffered another trauma from her. And we haven't also talked about that, you know, in, in this spiritual world of the outback, the max is this uh, spiritual animal of, of a rabbit. So she, they're linked because he's there as a guide, as a protector. And yet in the, you know, the real world, he maybe he was a bum and and he just was, you know, in the wrong place at the wrong time when Julie Winters ran him down. Right. Yeah. As long as he's in the mask, that, that makes sense to her. That's a symbol she can use. But in the dream world, she has extra meaning beneath that mask. And I think that's fascinating also. You know, I was thinking about that with Twin Peaks. I thought, well, is it really directly engaging with spirit animals? Uh, of course, we have the owls. Of course, we have the white horse. But I don't know that they're necessarily spiritual animals, but but that's very important in the max. Mr. Gone, we haven't even said how evil he really is. He actually rapes and kills people and he's he's telling the truth or he seems to be helpful to, to Julie in some ways to, to guide her and give her the truth. And he has his own family background and things. But at the same time, he is a bad guy and he's done bad things to women. And I find that fascinating. Right. Yeah. It, and that's the thing, uh, you know. I guess what I would think about thinking about his evil and what's fascinating about him is he is that conflicted character that somehow I like listening to narrate the story. And I tried to understand why that was uh, one, the, the charming voice actor from the MTV series, that voice will always be with me. But it's also that it, as the series goes on, kind of like David Lynch kept Laura Palmer all the way into Firewalk with me, and he didn't let that character go. He kept developing her and kept working with her. That's almost what Sam Keith does with Mr. Gone. You learn more and more about what motivated this evil in these actions and why you would even trust him at all to speak to the Max and Julie. This doesn't justify his actions, but we do learn that he was was abused himself at a young age. But as a child, he, he was abused and he would look at patterns, I believe, on the ceiling or on the wall. And right away, that made me think of Leland Palmer and that whole, uh, he's in the police station and... always like what's going through Leland's mind at that time oh that's true yeah that's a good point and and another thing that it reminded me of was Mike in the return you, you know we're like man we know that he had the he cut the evil arm off and and it's like but but there was this feeling of like why why is Mike uh this this spiritual guide for Cooper through the red room after all this 25 years 
and, and Mr. Gone has that kind of sinister background that existed once, but now he, he's a trusted guide. Yeah, and I still question whether and, – and it's funny. The credits call him Philip Gerard. I always get puzzled by that. It's like, is that a mistake or do they intentionally want him to be Philip Gerard? Because that's not the spiritual version. That's the human version. Does he have his own motivation? Does he want Bob back in the Red Room Black Lodge? Or like why is he helping Cooper? Yeah, I have to – just in my own mind, I just see Mike and Bob as these eternal opposing forces. So so I'm probably more willing – I have no – good justification for it. But I, I probably lean toward that idea that Mike had his own motivations for, for encouraging Cooper's return. So is there anything else you want to say with connections? I mean, I, I see how Julie Winters is very much like Laura Palmer. I can see the dream element. Yeah, I, I, I do have a couple and, and a couple that didn't quite make it into the paper, the article, which which I hope you'll read because as you've learned listening to me, I, I work much better in writing than I do in speaking. I think you sound great. <laughs> so I looked again at uh, Leland and Gone in the idea of redemption. You know, in the return, we only get to see Leland sitting in the chair asking Cooper to find Laura. In the Max, you have Mr. Gone. Uh, he has a daughter, Sarah. There's a connection there with Julie and, and Max, and, and probably it's most of the second half of the MTV series is looking at Sarah. You know, Gone always wanted to make things right with her, with his daughter, to come back to her and be in her life in some positive fashion, even after all of his evils. And I thought there's a scene in the book where uh, three unexplained CIA agents come to kill him. And it's stated at the end that this is one of the bravest things that Mr. Gone has ever done is to sacrifice himself for his daughter. And then you see the Max in Pangea and he, and he looks at the Jungle Queen and he's like, the evil, it's here, it's in Pangea, you know. And she says, yes, but it's okay. And he says, so the evil can be in Pangea. And she says, well, where else are you going to put it? Yeah. And, and I thought about that and I thought, you know, it, it's stretching it. But but is there a future path there for Leland to have that that happy time with Laura again in some redemptive quality? I originally thought maybe that's what this story was going to be of season three was it, it was going to be Laura confronting her her father and stuff, especially when we started off with go find Laura. It's like, oh, he's going to Cooper's going to bring Laura back to Leland. There's going to be some kind of resolution. Right. And so I'll just add one more so that I don't go too far. That is the the idea of heads. You know, we had Briggs with his missing head. I got to thinking, well, the thing about the return is once you see it, you will always return to Twin Peaks with the lens that Major Briggs had. You come back in his headspace because you know Bobby's future. You know what Cooper needs to accomplish in that end line where Bobby says, what is going on? And Cooper explains to him, your father knew very well what is going on here today. I thought, you know, as an audience, we become Briggs. Wow. And in the Max, the one thing that Julie does, uh, she's definitely capable of protecting herself. She cuts off Mr. Gunn. Head. You were never able to accept the other plane, Julie. Never able to revel in it like I am. Instead, up. you hide in this Gonna fantasy. Remember, Julie, it's only yours. And he later learns that he can't do anything to his head since he's been in these outbacks. He has to keep living over and over. So there is some kind of connection to the idea of headspaces. In some ways, I feel both Return and this comic book kind of ends similar, that they're kind of both like almost starting over, I guess, because you have Cooper, who also seems to be maybe Richard with Carrie. It's not the same place. It's not the same Palmer house. It's like something isn't right. And then you have these characters from the Max that are kind of in a different place and different characters. There. Right. And, and, you know, I think that's where this paper became really viable for me to, to even write this article. It was Mr. Gon's very words at the end. Uh, Julie Winters has a, a grown up son now. This is the future. And he's trying to get Mr. Gon to explain why the world has to end. And he uses this line, though the details of our lives will change our core will remain. And then there's an excellent follow-up to that. But that line alone, it sounded like Cooper telling me this. It did. Yeah, that's a great line. You're writing, it's coming out soon? This is the 25 Years Later site. It's one of our Black Lodge, White Lodge articles. And that is where uh, we each take a position, those of us assigned to the question, and write our defense of our position. And then it's compiled for our readership to see where they kind of fall. Your position for this article was that you always turn back to the beginning of the series because of the return. It was which chapter 
is the strongest chapter in the narrative of Twin Peaks. So uh, we have one author taking season one, another taking season two, and then one with Firewalk of Me and the Missing Pieces. And and I got the, um, well, let's, I'll, I will call it the very fortunate position of getting the return. So you actually, did, you had to make the case, so you, you weren't even given the right? <laughs> right. I, I made a case why it is the strongest chapter uh, from start to finish. I can't believe it's been 25 years since I've seen this comic book. I'm still impressed by it because it deals more than just superheroes. It's dealing with with how people handle trauma or, or these difficulties. And and I love it that they, they use the dream sequences and other worlds to help them heal. And it's it's a, it was a, it's a really cool story that Sam Keith did. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, you know, you get that notion that Julie is the one, like Laura Palmer is the one. And you see that Sam Keith uh, had a good Julie locked away in Pangea while a kind of damaged Julie existed in the real world. But through the Max's adventures and their growing through time, because there's a 10-year leap somewhere in the series, that, yeah, some of those traumas get to be healed and, and that maybe for that to be accomplished, they, they need to switch worlds. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned about the different versions of Julie Winters. The damaged version has black hair. At least when it comes to Julie Winters, she has blonde hair. So of course I think about, you know, Laura Palmer and Maddie. Yeah. And we must see, I don't know how many iterations of Mr. Gone by the time we get through it. I love that. Especially because he, yeah, yeah, he loses his head. So he's got to find ways to get his head back on or not have a body or yeah. He goes through a lot of versions of himself. Right. So I, I guess it, to kind of close that, yeah, you know, it's that idea that there will never be another show quite like Twin Peaks, but I'm trying to imagine another comic book willing to tackle these issues that will ever be quite like the Max. And it's that dream logic. It's the, the coping through the traumas and the investigation into what that really looks like. That That's just unique and fascinating that they came out so close together, but completely unrelated. I want to mention MTV's version of the Max and that they use used uh, computer generation uh, software to make the Macs. And I think this, the technology they were using was relatively new. And I think they were doing things that hadn't been done before. And do you want to share a little bit about that TV show? They almost animated cells the way I discuss it in the uh, article is that the TV show was taken directly uh, you can buy these uh, graphic novels of the Max. There's just three of them that collect all 35. And volume one of this Max Maxed Out pretty much comprises the the mini series that MTV's show became. It's the first 11 issues, I want to say. They take it frame by frame for the animated series. I said it almost is what we call a motion comic now, but it's a little more advanced than that. And they were trying out new uh, yeah, CGI effects, I think, very early on for a show of its budget and size. And if you get the DVDs, there are documentaries where they talk a little bit about that experience. And I think there's commentary as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I got, I bought it. And, you know, Brian, unfortunately, wasn't able to join us today, but he went and got it because he was excited to, to, to rewatch it because he watched it back in the day. And for people who haven't checked it out, I do still recommend checking out those graphic novels. That's right. Yeah, it speaks very well for itself and it's aged very well. And so do you want to share anything else with us? Uh, do, maybe uh, what else are you working on in 25 years later site? It's a backlog of ideas I need to get to. In the very near future, I'm going to get to interview horror authors Stephen Graham Jones, who just won the uh, Bram Stoker Award for his uh, novella Mapping the Interior. The reason I approached him uh, was that in that nomination list for the Bram Stoker Awards, Mark Frost and David Lynch were nominated for Part 8 of the return. Unfortunately, they, they did not get that. That went to Get Out, which is deservedly so. So after that interview, that'll be a good one. I'm going to be looking at Ronnie Rocket at some point, seeing what I can kind of bring out of that. I will be writing an article focused on the Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard section of the secret history of Twin Peaks. There will be lots more to come. Of course, I wrote the article on Odessa, Texas, which I read that for your program at one point. Thank you so much for reading that for the show. I love that article. I thought you did a great job. And you were, you said, did you say on that article you were from Texas, right? That's right. Yeah. I'm here in uh, West Texas 
And so coming up uh, in a couple weeks in early April, they open the Trinity test site uh, two days a year. One is in October, one is in April. So my wife and I are going to see that, you know, keeping all reverence in mind, not just for Twin Peaks. And then uh, so, so I did a little visit to San Antonio, New Mexico, and there's some interesting things going on there. Uh, I will eventually have an article about as a fan of Twin Peaks, how can you tour this southwest area and get kind of an experience out of it. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I, I just great talking to you. I was so excited. I think we've been talking for months. I knew you were working on The Head and MTV Oddities. And I was so excited for you when you were going to come out with this, uh, The Max. And I think it's perfect timing now with it. 25th anniversary. Oh, yeah. I, I Totally unexpected. I had no idea it was the 25-year anniversary. And of course, that's perfect, us being uh, someone that focuses on 25 years later. So, Thank you, Rob King. And if you want to see more of Rob's work, I would recommend you go to 25yearslatersite.com. And there's a lot of great work that he's done there. He was involved with that, uh, that Texas uh, Twin Peaks article that I thought was really good. And he's done a lot of great work. So go there. You know, you can always look under team and you you can click on his link of his name and you'll see all the articles he's written for 25 years later site yeah amazing so i i got myself a copy of the max the complete series from mtv and i think i watched the first eight episodes or so going oh my god i feel like a teenager again <laughs> um it was snowing outside i Good was day, snow day uh, yeah snow day i was in my my little man cave watching it i felt like a teenager all over again and then i got to the stuff i've never seen before i never saw the way it ended yeah um, i remember seeing that first episode a million times like i would see it on reruns or maybe i just my schedule and i didn't i, I couldn't DVR anything. Right. So you just caught it when it was on. And yeah. um, sometimes it was just a rerun. I love the animation. Yeah. I and, love the audio and too. They, and they say it pretty true to the comic book. Like the, the style of the comic book is pretty much the same. The, yeah. the cartoon as the comic book and they had the blessing of Sam Keith and Sam Keith was was very much involved with helping with this but you know what it almost it's almost exactly the same as the comic book except for the ending the, that's good I, yeah, I'm glad you didn't ruin end, the ending the ending is is almost just unique for this uh, series this MTV series yeah yeah that's really cool and we should bring it back to Twin Peaks I guess do you see similarities comparing yes, I yeah. do because there's something I've brought up in the past and it's something I still think about and it's something that doesn't leave me. I I believe that Laura Palmer created the Red Room because of her tra her tragedies in life. She created a, a place to escape. Yeah. And somehow, you know, Dale Cooper was able to penetrate that and uh, enter it. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole, you know, Hawk knows about the Black Lodge and the White Lodge, but if I just keep it in the context of Laura Palmer and what the cabin had and what that red room had, it feels to me it was a made-up place to escape because all those elements were in the cabin. What if, what we watch of Twin Peaks is actually a dream and maybe there's elements of truth of the real world that Laura Palmer was in, yeah. but in some ways she made up this whole world, she made up this world to bring Cooper in to be... Yeah. Somebody who could be there to protect her. Yeah, sort of like the Max. Yes. Sort of like the Max. Yes. I mean, very much like the Max. Um, what What is the girl's name now? I can't remember. Julie Winters. Julie. You learn early that she had someone assault her and rape her. Later on, we get a really good episode about her parents and about a rabbit, which, you know, there's this whole thing, the rabbit being the... Um, Spiritual animal. The spirit, her spiritual animal. But what did the rapper, the rapper, the rabbit represent? And what happened? What tragic thing happened to that rabbit? And she learned to uh, push down her feelings and kind of like close off after that incident. So it was a um, a uh, protection mechanism that she learned later on, very early in life, and then she uses it again for a uh, traumatic thing so she's like laura palmer yes all these horrible things happen to laura palmer so what does she do she learns how to control the situation and also how to um escape because you need an escape and julie winters escapes as well yeah it's interesting julie winters is a social worker oh she's i think she's almost like 
I'm trying to think. She, I don't even know if she's actually. She's like an anti-social worker. <laughs> because her attitude, right. it, it's weird. She became a social worker. And this is where it's interesting for me. I don't know if you thought the same thing. She can't fix herself. So she becomes a social worker, uh, like a freelance social yes, worker. Yes, that's out of it, freelance. Right. She's, I don't think she's licensed. She's not work. licensed. Yeah. And she's trying to help others. Because she doesn't know how to fix herself. Yes. But she also projects all her insecurities onto these people. She's not very nice about it. Like, she's just very, like, you need to learn how to do this. This is your problem. You know, she don't play the victim card. Right. Like, she's just very, like, oh, I, you know, I'm going to help you, but you just need to pull up your own bootstraps. But I kind of felt like later on you learn that it to me, it was her projecting her own insecurities onto these people. Yes. She's saying to herself, I got to stop playing. I shouldn't be the victim here. Yeah. But I am one. If it relates to like Laura Palmer, Laura Palmer was always trying to help the community out, whether it would be Josie teaching her yes. English yes. or if she was doing the Meals on Wheels or whatever she was doing, she was always trying to help. But I didn't connect that. Yeah. yeah that was a good I mean, one. I think in that way, I think she had her own real, a lot of issues, but yeah. her way to solve these is, was trying to do things for the community to help. That's a good point. And yeah. she was helping others. You're right. Um, I, I didn't hit that parallel. That's a great one. Um, and then the world that she creates, and then the Max, who, oh man, I mean, it's trippy. What, what do you, what do you take out of the Max? I mean, he's a homeless guy wearing yes. a mask. He's always sleeping, which takes him to this other world where he can be the protector of her in the jungle. If we take it that Bob is just the evil that men do, Laura didn't want to believe that was really her father that was, you know, yeah. doing these th acts to her. And so I think, yeah, for Julie, she didn't want to hear that Mr. Gone saying these realities that, yeah, you've been abused and these things that have happened to you and yeah. this, you know, what what's really going on. And in the beginning of the show, before every show, he says, I have the secret that could ruin everything yes. for her. And at the end of the show, you're like, that's the secret. Like, he literally could. Because um, you're like, what kind of villain is he? Is he going to, you know, he's, right. it's more psychological. It's nothing physical. But it's such an interesting cartoon. And it has heavy themes for a cartoon. Yes. So t can you remember what happens at the end of the cartoon? She realizes she has to get out of her, I almost looked at it like, She's got to get out of her filth. she got to dig her way out of the shit. Yes. Um, she needs to get out of this. She's stuck. And for her to move on, she in the cartoon physically has to move on. Like, I can't be here anymore because it's just reminding me and I'm in my own filth. She, They mentioned her apartment. It's filthy. Yes. And she's, she's just letting everything go and kind of like Sarah Palmer. She, yeah. She's just not moving on. Right. For her to move on, I think she's saying, I physically need to get out of here. And like, and that didn't happen until she had the epiphany when she actually realized and she met her, her inner self. Yes. And that's the point where she was like, I need to make things better for myself because I'm just stuck in a rut. Right. The Max is like, he's upset. He's like, well, if you move on and... What am I gonna do in the uh, the jungle there? Yep. He shows the him outback, in the yeah. outback. He shows him taking off his mask and everything. And it, it, he's the homeless man or man, and he goes into the garden. And I guess I got out of it that he needs to take care of himself as well. Yeah, that's yeah, that's like right. a garden would be rebirth. Yes. And um, we haven't we didn't see a garden in the outback before, and right. you had those those little white Is's? the isses. Yes. And the Izzes weren't there, and he was able to help himself. Right. So that's and I guess I the idea of, of plucking out the weeds, getting rid of those yes. things, and really uh, nurturing or, or just taking care of yourself. I can remember now. Mr. Gone. He said if I let Julie go, I'd find out what my own outback is. I would be free. And so would she.
that was not in the comic book. That was something that was tacked on to the ending ah, of the cartoon. Cool. And you know, Sam Keith is the creator of the Max, and I think you know he 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 was ahead in the comic book, and I think as he was working on future issues, he was like, oh yeah, this might be interesting for the for the cartoon, which the cartoon never got there because I guess MTV just never renewed it. I don't know why, because it seemed like an incredible show. And it- I love the animation. I think the animation is really special, and I love the audio. The audio feels like yeah. like they record it on the streets of the city, and you can hear the background noise, right. and it's very different. Than, it doesn't sound sterile. Yeah. Like you just don't hear a voice, another voice. You hear like this ambiance. I don't right. know. I really, it is nice. It's I like a whole like, world. There's a yeah. whole world there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As a teenager, you know, I never went through such tragedy as some of these characters went through, but I, as mm. a teenager, you're always kind of like going through these, at least I was, where it's like... Happy, sad, you have all these emotions, and you read a comic yes. book like this where it's like, wow, there's other characters that are going through these these feelings of, you know, you're growing up and you don't really know who you are or understand the world. And to me, that was so cool, much cooler than reading Superman or Batman. To mm-hmm. me, it was like, wow, we have some of these, these, these characters that are going through all these just different feelings. And I thought it was the coolest thing. I mean, not only did you have a superhero, but you also could, could kind of deal with real life. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And there's so many great comics out now that are not superhero comics. They're so fantastic. And right now there's a couple of comic books that I read, which are just the anti-superhero stuff. Jeff Lemire, Gideon Falls, number one issue, just hit the shelves this month. Really good, Ben. And he also did the cover to this month's issue of uh, the Blue Rose Magazine. You can get it at bluerosemag.com. And I got the issue in the mail, and I've, I'm have i a quarter in, and it is amazing. The it's interview so with... Um, Damon Lindelof? I haven't got there yet. Uh, the interview with uh, Leland Palmer with... Uh, yeah, Ray Wise. Ray Wise is fantastic. Uh, they, they do some great interviews, yeah. Scott and John there. Uh. Scott did a great job with that one. Gideon Falls kind of goes in line like with Twin Peaks in the sense, in the max, this parallel universe. Yeah. I don't want to give it away. I, it's 100% worth picking up. If you're not a comic book fan, I challenge you, pick this up. You might like it and you might turn you on to graphic novels. That's how good it was. It's about this guy, this priest, he goes to this new town, Gideon Falls, something happened to the previous priest. He goes there, he sees a vision of the old priest. And then there is this gentleman who's in the city who um, is finding clues. He has this vision in his head, and he's trying to solve it by finding these clues around. He puts these rubber gloves on, he's, he's wearing a mask. Are they like, green? No, they're not green. Like he's uh, like a germaphobe almost. Yeah. And they're pieces of shards of wood and pieces of nails. You can connect the pieces when you read it, what those could be. And he has this drawing of this red cabin. That's his vision. But this priest in Gideon Falls ends up seeing the other priest. And he brings him to this big place and he sees an image and um, that's all I'm going to say. Interesting. Uh, it's good. Yeah. There's a parallel world there. I don't know what's going on. They did uh, Old Man Logan. They did a lot of classic stuff, but this is really good. Nice. And I guess the story's been rattling in his head for like forever, since he was in early 20s, he wow. said. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. So he's finally getting it out. I love comic books. I don't read them as much as I did when I was younger. Um, right now, I have a um, Marvel Unlimited subscription. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And like, why did I? I'm trying to remember why I even got it. I don't remember why. I, you know, I, sometimes it's Star Wars. Sometimes I like to yeah, read Star, Star Wars, Wars stuff comics. is good. But you know, my son, I, I read to him at nighttime. You know, bedtime stories and stuff like that. He wants me to sometimes read his comic books. So like, yeah. I will read a Spider-Man comic book. Oh, or nice. something Like that. And That's yeah, great. That's great. Cool, so. But yeah, you should definitely check it out, Ben. So you know, we have something coming up next. We 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 are going to talk about next week's show even though we usually don't talk about shows until we know we this is happening (laughs) happening rain snow or whatever whatever mother nature will throw at us in new england we're doing something special right is is this our first live show facebook live you me jc from 25 years later site yeah in this room we are going to go live Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Like us on Facebook at Twin Peaks Unwrapped. 
We are going live from our, our Facebook page. I will share the link on my personal page, and I'm sure JC will do the same, and you will probably do the same. But if you want to be in the know, like us on Facebook. We will be promoting the hell out of it in 6 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday night next week. And for the people who can't be able to make it for that time, how are they going to get to hear us? Guess what? That episode is going to go straight onto our podcast page that night as is. As long as nothing major happens that we need to edit out. So I shouldn't laugh too much. Yeah. I shouldn't have my giggle fits. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it'd be great. This episode is going to go up. So I feel like the people who can't watch it live, you're going to get the same experience. You just can't see us. So that week's episode will go on YouTube. It will go on Podbean. It will go on iTunes. Wherever you listen to us, that's going to be that week's episode. It's just going to be special because you can see us as we're recording it. And we want community feedback. We want to interact with you. Yeah, well, I think That's while, the main while we're point. having our discussions and we'll have different topics we'll be talking, I think at times we might take yeah. uh, questions from people. Or thoughts. Thoughts yeah, from yeah. Facebook. So yeah, that's why if you want, if you can make it, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to... Yeah, and like it'd be really cool to see like where people are from who are watching us live. Like, are you from a different country? What state are you in? You know, are you close by? I think it'd be really cool. So we're gonna have video of us, right? So we're gonna be yeah, uh, yeah. So to prepare for this, I went to T Public and I got a, a Twin Peaks unwrapped shirt. So I mean, we I had one from the mall that I got made. Yeah, but yeah. now I've got a legit T Public Twin Peaks unwrapped shirt. It just came in the mail. Ah. I'm, I, I'm ready to wear it on the live show. And you could wear a T Public shirt from Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Why you watch us wear our Twin Peaks T Public shirts? The link is in the show notes. Whatever you buy supports the show. Thank you. So I, with that said, I think that's our show this week. Yeah, it's been an awesome one. And uh, you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on, on Twitter. You can send us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped.gmail.com. And you can find us on iTunes. Subscribe. Give us that five-star rating because that, that helps us. And um, that's it. That's it. I'll see you next week. Be here. 6 p.m. Eastern Twin Peaks Unwrapped on Facebook Live. Do you believe in the soul? Several. More than one. Blackfoot legend. Waking souls that give life to the mind and the body. A dream soul that wanders. Dream souls? Where do they wander? Faraway places. The land of the dead. Is that where Laura is? Laura's in the ground, Agent Cooper. That's the only thing I'm sure of.